we need to every morning find a way to celebrate all the good things that they did. So if they did stay in bed, like we have a visual checklist, we check it off, we reward as necessary to really just encourage them like, hey, you did a great job last night. And for some kids, it may be, hey, you know what? You only got out of bed eight times last night instead of 15, like you usually do. (laughs) You know, like those little wins, what the kid starts to see is that they're like, okay, mom or dad is happy with what I'm doing. They seem really excited. Maybe, maybe I should keep doing that. Welcome to the Daily Naked Pair Podcast, brought to you by Rocco Blue, the first ever brand focused on supporting parents with special needs children. Naked Parent Nation is a group of parents with special needs children who are willing to get vulnerable, strip it all down, and take a look at ourselves, our parenting, our family, and our plans to create a life beyond our wildest dreams. On today's show, we'll be discussing how to help your child sleep through the night. Hello, Naked Parent Nation, and welcome to today's episode of the Naked Parent Podcast. My name's Chad Ratliff, and I'm your host. Before I introduce you to our guest today, let me start by sharing our community's code. Naked Parent Nation is a worldwide community of parents raising children with all kinds of needs. We come together to share our naked truth, support our fellow parents, and inspire the inner growth that each of us needs to build the life and family of our dreams. For the parents that are struggling, we want you to know that we will love you until you can love yourself. For your children, we pray and send power from our collective group. As we come to understand our divine nature, we realize that there's no need to feel sorry for ourselves, be angry, or feel lack. We come to understand that our feelings of limitation and separation are only in our minds. Through self-realization, we expand our consciousness so that the challenges that perplex us today dissipate one by one until we're able to see and experience gratitude and beauty in everything just as it is. We have the power to create any kind of life we want for ourselves and our families. We do this by living in the naked present moment, one day at a time. If you're ready to take back your life or just continue your journey of awareness and consciousness, then let me welcome you to Naked Parent Nation and the Naked Parent Podcast. So as we continue our journey, we'll start with a centering exercise, a a moment for ourselves, a moment to let the world go. So if you wanna sit up straight with your spine erect and just let your eyes gently fall closed, if you'd like, and just take in the feelings within your body Take in the sounds within the room. And we'll start with a little music. And just let those things that challenge you fall away. Take a deep breath in and hold it at the top and exhale and let it all go. 
another deep breath in and hold it at the top. Let it build up right to the top, the crown of your head and hold it there. And then let it all go. Just remember you're here, you're enough. that everything's unfolding in amazing ways, whether we see it sometimes or we don't. And then one more deep breath and hold it at the top, the crown of your head. Breathe out from your heart. And as you open your eyes, whenever you choose to, come back to the show today that I'm excited to share with you. And I'm excited to learn more about myself. So I'd like to welcome Melissa. How do you say your last name, Melissa? Doman. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Let me just share a little bit with our listeners about you. You're a sleep coach for special needs families who have lost their mind enough times and just can't do it anymore, uh, can't handle any more sleepless nights for their child, for themselves. You've worked with diagnoses that include cerebral palsy, trisomy 21. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Autism, ADD, ADHD, developmental delays, and more. And you're in the business of helping children and parents thrive by getting their sleep back. Does that sound about right? Sounds pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us how this journey started for you? When did this begin for you and why maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I worked with kids with special needs since 2009, 13 years, something like it. <laughs> Math is not my forte. But anyway, I've worked with kids with special needs for a very long time. My background is as a child brain developmentalist and as a Doman Method coach. And what I continuously, like continually started to run into was that as a therapist and as a coach myself, here I am trying to get kids to do X, Y, and Z, and they're exhausted. Parents are exhausted. And, you know, at first I really didn't know what to recommend to them. And back in 20, I think it was like around 2015, I learned about the sleep training for kids and I came across the Sleep Sense program, which was the program that I'm certified in. And I started to use it with my kids in the clinic. And like within weeks, their sleep was changing. They were sleeping through the night independently. And I was like, well, geez, if I can do it with these kids here, like everybody needs to know about this. And yeah, that's kind of where the journey started. In 2016, I started my own sleep coaching business and have now helped hundreds and hundreds of families 
of kids with special needs uh, get the rest that they need. That's amazing. I know from personal experience, it's like so easy to get caught up in all of the things that it takes to feel like you're surviving life. Yeah. And night after night, my kid's not sleeping and we're losing our minds and we're trying to take care of all the things that make us feel like we're taking care of life and we're just not equipped to function because it's just too big of a piece that's missing from our our life equation. And just about, I mean, most people that I talk to on the show are are either dealing with it or they've dealt with it. I spent four years without sleep, my child without sleep, sleeping in school, come pick him up. He's sleeping, you know, he's not getting anything from school. So take him back home. He's, you know, and then up all night. How does somebody start fixing? How does somebody start addressing this problem? Mm, It's a great question. And of course, like, you know, I, I think with the population of kids that I work with, the sleep struggles that they're going through are not uncommon to like a neurotypical kid. It's just on a much more intense or extreme level, like middle of the night wakeups could be three, four hours long. I mean, I hear that week after week after week with new families that that I work with. And typically what I, I recommend to families to start doing is like start with the easy stuff. So looking at the bedroom environment, making sure bedtime routine is not only consistent each night, but we're incorporating the things that a child needs just to feel like their needs are met. So sensory activities, a little maybe a little bit more physical play, things like that. And also just making sure that we're doing everything right by them during the day of, of kind of striking that balance with the sensory processing. A lot of the kids that I work with, it's because that system is either not getting enough stimulation or the total opposite. Like they're getting super overstimulated from a busy day at school and therapy and this and that. So typically, like I said, in the very beginning, it's just a matter of like getting down to the basics, making sure that the easy things we can do, like light level, room temperature, bedtime routine, all of those things are in place, but just taking that deeper look at your child and what they need from that sensory standpoint, the physical activity standpoint, and making sure that those things are in balance too. And it's the beginning, but a lot of families that initially reach out to me say they already get start getting results with doing those things consistently. Then anything that we have to put into place from a behavioral standpoint, like encouraging independence and things like that, it, it does make the parent's job a lot easier. So it's easy success at first, not only for the kid, but for parents as well. And when they can see like there's potential, there's there's hope, there's <laughs> there's things that can change, the motivation to take those next steps of encouraging independence and changing schedules and things like that, it's, you know, everybody's on board. It's and it becomes a lot easier, a lot easier. Awesome. So when I finally had enough, I went to my doctor and the doctor looks through their list of medications and starts prescribing. The first one didn't work. So we added a second one and the second one didn't work. So we added a third one and then we upped the first one and we never had the conversation about what's the environment or any of these things that you're talking about. I think that's not super uncommon for 
people, they go to their doctor and their doctor starts prescribing things. Where How does that factor in? When do you, what do you do if your kid's on a myriad of medications? You know, how do you approach that when you get a client that's kind of gone down that path? Yeah. When those families cross my path, I mean, first of all, I think that for a lot of my families, because it's so many nights of not being able to sleep, like at any, at that point, anybody would do anything just to get a couple more hours. And sometimes parents will take that melatonin or medication route just to like put a bandaid on it so that they can like kind of refocus and regroup and say, all right, where do we go from here? And, you know, to get on my soapbox a little bit here, (laughs) what you described with your child is very common for my parents. And I think it's ultimately because a lot of medical professionals don't think that a child with special needs is able to understand or comprehend those kind of behavioral changes, or they're not going to get that much effect out of these simple lifestyle changes. But the truth is, is that I've had many families that I've worked with where the kid's on two, three, four, five different medications. And when you go to ask them like, all right, how do they sleep at night? Most of the time it's like they have to be rocked, held. (laughs) They have to co-sleep with parents. And it's like, well, yeah, no wonder they don't have, they can't sleep well. They are reliant on that help. And the sensory system is all out of whack. The nutritional components aren't there. So like I think for a lot of my families, when they come and and they find me and my team, there's that sense of relief of like, okay, we don't have to do the medication route. And of course, like, like I said before, a lot of families do it just out of that desperation of like, okay, let's put this in for right now. And let's, let's figure out where do we go from here. And, you know, ultimately, if a family or or a child is work, I'm working with is on those medications or on, on melatonin. We don't change it initially, but what parents start to see is like, finally, these deeper level things are working to the child's advantage. And then, you know, they start, they start to forget like to give melatonin beginning of the night. And it's like, or they, they realize, oh, this clonidine or whatever, we, it's not doing anything for us. So then they get to have that, that opportunity to go to the doctor and say like, okay, we want off of this now because those more like those really like lifestyle changes are in place and their child is winning and and succeeding with them. That's awesome. Does the level of special needs play into it? I mean, my son's 13 nonverbal, wears a diaper, doesn't make eye contact. I mean, do you work with low functioning to high functioning or how does that work? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And what I love about teaching sleep for kids with any diagnosis or mild, severe, however you want to describe them, the great thing is, is that teaching sleep is like one of the first things that for many of the kids that I work with that they learn how to do independently. And the great, like I said, it doesn't matter where they are developmentally. Most of the time we can come up with a way to and teach that better sleep where they can really succeed with it. At this point, <laughs> I see like almost, almost just about everything when it comes to sleep struggles and sleep issues that kids have. And as long as we're making those changes gradually and we're allowing for success, not just for the parents, but for the kid as well, and we're doing it in a way that really respects where they are with regards to their intelligence and their understanding, like 
we can make great headway. And I, that being said, though, like I know that inherently a lot of our pre-verbal, non-verbal <laughs> kids are children who are not yet like from a motor standpoint where they're supposed to be age level wise. A lot of the times understanding is there. Like they know what makes their parents tick and how to get the things that they need. Like it's a survival skill. So a lot of times I'll have conversations with parents and they're like, are they really going to get this or understand it? And what parents have to know is that like, we understand the things we understand because we've heard it, seen it, done it thousands and thousands of times. So with that frequent repetition and making changes in that gradual way, kids are going to grasp it very quickly. I mean, I'll get emails from parents like, oh no, they've, (laughs) they figured us out. Like they know what's going on (laughs) in the great and like in the best way possible. But for parents to have that kind of eye-opening experience of like, oh no, they really do understand what's going on. And because we've designed things or put things in a, in that really consistent black and white process, or we've made that plan for them, the kids really fly with it, which is awesome. That's great. As a single father with five kids, I know the challenges of being a single parent. And I know the challenges of meeting new potential partners and the challenges of introducing special needs into that relationship. It's already difficult enough to kind of be a step parent, I think. And when you have kids with unique needs, I think it's even more challenging. So on the show, I'm a huge proponent of trying to keep families together, you know, couples trying to work through is, you know, obviously there's certain lines that can't be crossed, I imagine, but trying to stick it out and special needs families have a very low rate of success in staying together. Mm -hmm. And sleep, I think, is one of those pieces that makes it difficult to deal with yourself, let alone be in a relationship, let alone be in a relationship and have special needs children. So Naked Parent Nation, I hope you're listening. You have to sleep and your child has to sleep. It's just something that we have to get to the bottom of. What do you say about keeping kids as they get older in cribs because they're getting up out of bed all the time? Do you, I remember, you know, people couldn't even lift my kid because I didn't know what to do. He just kept getting out of bed. So what are your thoughts on keeping them locked into bed? It's a great question. You know, typically for the kids that I work with who are, you know, frequent nighttime visitors. So they've, they've learned how to either get out of the crib or, you know, we've made the transition to the, the big kid bed or however you want to say it. A lot of times it does kind of boil down to like, how were they initially falling asleep for the night? So if mom or dad is needed in any way to make that process happen, whether it's holding them, rocking them, co-sleeping, or even just like sitting out in the hallway. So the child has that reassurance, like, okay, mom or dad is there. They are going to keep waking up and they're going to keep looking for that help. So a lot of times with my kids who, who are at that point where they they either need to move out of the crib because they're just too big for it, or it's become maybe a little bit dangerous. Like they're not necessarily getting out in the, (laughs) in the safest way possible. We have to make sure that that child knows how to, to self-soothe and self-regulate themselves to sleep. Because what typically, what happens, I mean, it's kind of like 
you go to sleep with your pillow and blanket and then you wake up and they're gone, right? The first thing you're going to do is get out of bed, find your pillow and blanket, and then try to get back to sleep. But that's going to be a startling enough experience for you that you may not fall asleep right away. So when a kid comes out of bed, typically it's because they're looking for that reassurance, that help to regulate themselves or whatever to, to get back to sleep. So, you know, ultimately we have to teach that independence and again, in a very gradual way, but we also need to, we need to utilize tools to teach them like staying in bed is a good thing to do. So I'll, for most kids that I work with, I usually write at least one or two or three different social stories all about like the different aspects of sleep at night. There are certain things that parents sometimes have to model for their child. And then the third thing is depending on the child's age, if it's a, it's a younger kid, I might not do this, but for my kids like three and older, we need to every morning find a way to celebrate all the good things that they did. So if they did stay in bed, like we have a visual checklist, we check it off, we reward as, as necessary to really just encourage them like, hey, you did a great job last night. And for some kids, it may be, hey, you know what? You only got out of bed eight times last night instead of 15, like you usually do. <laughs> yeah. You know, like those little wins, what the kid starts to see is that they're like, okay, mom or dad, mom and or dad is happy with what I'm doing. They seem really excited. Maybe, maybe I should keep doing that. Right. But there's multiple layers to it. But the, like I said before, the inherent issue is usually it's because they're, a kid is just not able to do it themselves yet. So they're going to keep looking for that help over and over and over again until they have their own strategies to get to sleep, whatever that may look like, those visits are going to keep happening. And there are parents out there who have been thinking like, should we make the transition to the bed because my kid's too big for the crib or, or whatever. I would encourage you to just like hold off, <laughs> make sure that everything is like, your child is super, super independent in the beginning of the night. And chances are when that's in place, the issues with the middle of the night and the crib are going to be a lot easier to navigate when you do go to make that transition down okay. the line. Yeah. All right. That's great. Are we allowed to talk about the, um, the lock on the door, the lock on the outside Absolutely. of the door? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And and, sure. I, and I'll be the first just to point, I mean, I've had child welfare services called on me because of the lock outside the door and I've had to go to the doctor and get a prescription yeah. to close the case down saying that it was for the child's best interest. Now, is that, the, was that the only solution? I don't know. I know it was a shitty situation to be in. Does the lock on the door come up for you? Yeah, quite a bit. And and of course, I do work with those kids who will elope. I mean, I, I worked with a kid six months ago. And the mom said after night three of sleep training, she found her five-year-old out in the driveway. Like he had gotten out of his room and I, we were like, okay, that's, you can't have that happening, right? right? Yeah, it's very scary. And I think for parents, for my special needs parents, like when you're faced with that, like if we were to ask any other parent on the street, hey, if you found your kid outside every morning and like walking around, how would you feel about that? Most parents, I think, would say like, oh my gosh, like 100% we'd put a lock on the door. Like that sounds terrifying, right? Now, 
are there ways for us to like, again, kind of like teach the boundary around like, you got to stay in your room. This is why. Yes, absolutely. For my kids that I work with who have locks on the door, we may not change it initially just because that's what they're used to, but we got to put those skills into place so they know and understand why they got to stay in their room. It's not just, you know, mom and dad want a couple hours extra sleep. But, but of course, like that is one of the reasons, but when a kid learns like I staying in my room is a good thing, it's a safe thing, then the lock on the door doesn't become as big of an issue. Like we can get to the point where we take it off. Now, of course, we'll put other things into place. Like if we need to put an alarm on the door or something like that, of course we will do that. But at the same time, like it's, it's an understandable thing. And I think if you ask any other parent on the street, like if their child was doing that, most parents would want to put something into place so they know their child is safe, even if it does seem like an extreme thing to do. Again, you have to weigh your options. It's either like I have this lock on the door and I know in my heart of hearts, like my kid is going to be okay, or X, Y, and Z is going to happen without it. Right. You know, I, I think that experience, a lot of professionals and other parents like don't get it. And it's not like, you know, we're being a bad parent. It's just like, this is what my kid does. And this is, they do it because they're super dysregulated or this thing happens or that thing happens. And special needs parents inherently know that it's just going to be a different journey. And there is a lot more acceptance that we need to have around that. And there could be, <laughs> you know, maybe the solution to it is like for other parents to have that experience of like, you know, watch a kid with severe autism for three hours. And I think it would change anybody's perspective of child rearing, especially for the the special needs child. Yeah. 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 Do you use weighted blankets or other things like that to help in your work? It's a great question. I don't actually. I, <laughs> I, for my kids that, that I work with who already have them, we'll keep them in place if they feel it's comfortable. Most of the time, and of course, I'm a little biased because I'm talking to parents on the other end of like, we've tried everything and nothing's working. But I think like those compression sheets, weighted blankets, a lot of parents just buy it and they're like, oh, please God be the thing like yeah. that, <laughs> that works, right? Again, like a lot of times weighted blankets and compression sheets, I find that they're kind of like band-aids where, yes, it provides some sensory regulation, but we have to get, again, we always have to get down to that deeper level of like what specific sensory things does that child need so that, you know, we can keep that system more calm and, and just running more efficiently through the night. So Yes. I mean, there are some kids who find weighted blankets super helpful and, and things like that. But I know already that parents make an investment to get this kind of coaching. Like I, after that, like I try to keep it as simple as possible because I know some of those things can get kind of costly too. And if it's one out of 15 times it actually works, it's kind of like, yeah. uh, is it worth it? <laughs> yeah. You know? Do you feel nutrition plays into kids issues with sleep? I feel that it does make a pretty significant impact. Most of the kids that I work with either struggle with like constipation or like just really upset digestion. And for a child who has a sensory processing issue, that can feel a lot more intense than for you and I. So there could be like, 
that could absolutely be a disruption at night. And of course, like the digestive system has hundreds of millions of neurons and it's, you know, ever from an evolutionary standpoint, the brain has kind of said, Hey dude, like you figured you handle this dirty job. Like I've got other things to worry about. So when there's something in the, the digestive system that really shouldn't be there, what happens is the brain has to divert energy to that digestive system and help it out. But all the plates that are spinning, you know, in these other areas, things start to to crash. And, and one of the things is, is sleep. So for my families out there who are listening to this, like making sure that your child is getting good quality, like sleep healthy food is a great way to start. But I also know that there are some incredibly picky eaters out there as well. You know, the kids who only eat the carbs or beige foods or, <laughs> or this or that. So there may be other things that you can do to help supplement so that you know your child is getting the vitamins, minerals that they need for a good night's sleep. The big, I think for me, like the biggest ones that I focus on with my families are magnesium to help a child feel more relaxed going into sleep. But if digestion is a problem, in particular constipation, that can also help to just move things with ease. But also like calcium, which we need to actually produce melatonin. A lot of the times over-the-counter melatonin doesn't really do anything just because it's like, again, it's a Band-Aid. But if a kid is only eating five foods and not very calcium dense, the body doesn't have what it needs to actually create melatonin. So you got to supplement with that. You know, other things as well, like vitamin B6, again, is a really important vitamin for our bodies to, to do what it needs to to create melatonin, serotonin, et cetera, to have that good night's rest. Awesome. It's always a touchy subject. And I'll say it first and foremost from our show, it's like the behind the Naked Parent podcast, the theme is the only thing that has to change is you, the parent. We don't like to say it direct like that. And yeah, we want to do things, but like a lot of times we're trying to fix our kid to make the life that we want. If our kid does this, then then we'll have the life we want. And I think that's the trap. And so the show focuses more often on the parents rather than these tips and tricks to like get your kid to be able to do this so that your life gets yeah. better. Because I think, I mean, I've fallen into that trap where it's like, if I can just get my kid potty trained, if I can just get my kid to sleep, if I can just get my kid. And yeah, we want to work on all these things. But I guess my question is how much of a negative impact are parents playing on their child's ability to sleep and they may not even realize that their routine that they've created or their lack of routine or the things that they're doing is what's really hurting their kid's chances of sleep. Like, are we getting in the way of our kids being able to sleep? Mm -hmm. I think yes and no, but I, I want to you know, I want to come from like, I want to come from a place of understanding too. you know, I realized that for a lot of special needs parents, like their child's journey into this world was not an easy one from the get go. And there's a lot that I mean, of course, I'm not a parent myself. So I can't say I understand. But I know like, it's from day there are some families that from day one, things were touch and go, there's months in the NICU, there's months of constant doctor's visits and appointments and surgeries and all of that, or for those families out there who things were seemingly okay. And then all of a sudden we're going through the, 
the trauma of the diagnosis process and having all of these professionals tell you like this, your child won't do this, can't do this, this will never happen. Like that weighs on a parent, obviously like that. So I think if we're talking about like that kind of parental mindset, like there is a, you have to give yourself a break, but also know that like a lot of the things that your child is struggling with, with sleep right now, like you can fill your own cup and say, Hey, listen, you know what? I have a boundary. And my boundary is like, I don't want to have to keep sleeping in my kid's toddler bed for the next (laughs) six years. Right. So there is, you have to get a little selfish with it and really ask yourself, like, what, what is it that I need mentally for my own body, for my own health? And when parents make that mindset shift, making changes with sleep and things like that, it becomes a lot easier because the the self-motivation is there. And, you know, I, I think for a lot of special needs parents, that's hard to do because it has been so much about their kid, making sure that they're better, they're better, they're better. Like, there's so much energy that we exert into that, but there has to be that self-reflection of like, what do I, what can I do for myself right now? And, you know, it, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, yeah, when the sleep's better, like it's going to be rainbows and daisies and all of that. Like, no, we know that's not necessarily the case. Like the journey with a special needs child is, is a forever one. And it's just, you know, it's just a matter of where that path takes us. But again, you know, I think for the families that I work with, like we try to be very understanding of that. Like we know that there's been a history leading up to that point of like trying to fix the sleep. So there are some times where I work with parents and it's like, hey, I know like listening to your kid cry is not fun. And it's again, it comes from a totally understandable place like that journey. It can be kind of a crazy one leading up to to sleep training or however you want to say it. But like I said, I think when parents make that mindset shift of like, no, this has to be for myself and just to make sure that like day to day, I can be the the caretaker, the care, caregiver. I say caretaker every time. It's like, that's the wrong word, but, <laughs> um, but the caregiver, the parent, the advocate I need to be for my child and for myself like that. At that point, it's, it's a total, a totally different experience. And doing the hard things to help your child just get a better night's rest so they can thrive and do well in school and therapy and stuff like that, it it becomes an easy one. So yeah, I I mean, again, I I think parents do have to be a little bit selfish and like kind of ask themselves, like, what do I need? And when we start from that place, you know, like I said, making those changes or utilizing or implementing these tips, it's, you know, becomes a totally different experience. Got it. And I do have empathy and compassion. I'm in it every day. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just know that it's, I know that my kids will eat sugar foods easier than they'll eat other foods. And so if I feed of my course. kid a bunch of sugar foods because I want to have my evening free of complaints and then, and then they're not sleeping, you know, I have to look at, I got to look at what I'm doing oh, and my involvement in, in kind of hurting, hurting their chances to be successful. Yeah. And, and, but that being said, like, and I'm not, I'm not saying you don't understand that. I know that like you, (laughs) you've got way more experience in that sense, just being a parent and, and having, you know, five kids yourself. But like, I do joke with my parents a lot, like, you know what, we got to pick our battles here. Let's, (laughs) let's, let's do this one. Let's focus on this first. And then we'll see from there, like how this goes. There are elements of that. And, you know, again, like with the feeding thing, it's, 
you know, do we want to work on sleep so your kid's not up for six hours? Or do we want to like try and get them off, you know, just eating Reese's Pieces 24 seven like that? (laughs) It's a totally, you know, they're two totally different goals. But that being said, like when we have success with one and parents see that they've, they've been successful in implementing it, tackling some of these other kind of like periphery things. Like I said, it just becomes a lot easier. And I think that whatever it is that you're working on, whether it's sleep or toilet training or this new therapy or whatever, I think for parents to have the opportunity to do it themselves, where they're working with their child and having that success and being able to be empowered to say like, I actually did this. I didn't need to necessarily like, yeah, I'm working with this sleep coach because they're going to give me recommendations, but I'm the one doing the work. That as well, like from a dynamic standpoint is, is a completely different experience. And, and to be able to just say to parents like, okay, this is step one, two, three, what you're going to do. And when parents do it and they get the results on them, like by themselves, like that is, is super empowering. And, and again, it's a lot of parents are, a lot of special needs parents are surrounded by people who are going to tell them, no, you can't do this. Did you go to school for this? You can't figure this out or your child's not going to do X, Y, and Z. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's just a really special experience to be a part of that just for the (laughs) the few weeks that I'm a part of it. But at the end of it, like parents, they really know how to handle it on their own and, and they don't need me after that. They know what to look for. They know how to handle those issues. And that's a very special thing that that special needs parents can learn how to do it and and be the professional that be they then they're the sleep professional their toilet training professional for for their own child awesome it brings it to a great point so it to to reach out and work with you is this do i sign up for a six month relationship how does how do people work with you how does that go and then how do we get in touch with you if we need the professional support. Absolutely. Um, so typically my team and I, it's not just me, I have four other coaches as well who, who work with me and they all have their own unique backgrounds being parents of neurodivergent kids themselves, they're special needs professionals, things like that. But what we do is for every child we work with, we come up with a plan that addresses all of the sleep issues that parents are facing or struggling are struggling with. And we usually work with parents for four to six weeks because that's usually the amount of time we need to see significant changes in the right direction. But we also realize that with our population of kids, they've got their own timeline. They're going to process and learn and understand on their own pace. So if they need more time, you know, as long as parents are following the recommendations, we see them out until we've made the goals we wanted to achieve. So sometimes it's a couple months, sometimes it's maybe three months, depending on that kid. But, you know, we're, we're there to support every step of the way until parents have, have made the goals that they want to see happen with, with their child's sleep. And if there are families out there who need the help and are, are looking for more of that kind of one-on-one coaching and guidance, they can reach out to me at melissadomansleepconsulting.com. We're on Facebook, Melissa Doman Sleep Consulting, and on Instagram at Special Needs Sleep Coach. Awesome. I've gotten a lot from this. I know our listeners have. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on our show. Could you do me a favor and send me those links to the different ways to reach out so we can put it in the show notes? 
And I just want to thank you for sharing your expertise with our audience today. Thank you so much, Chad. And and I, I appreciate you sharing your experiences with me. And I hope that you and, and your family and all the families out there <laughs> who are listening um, can rest a little easier after this. Thank you so much. Yeah. I look forward to keeping in touch with you. And um, I'll look for those links that we can put in our show notes. And I wish you and your team all the best. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. This concludes our show for today. And I'd like to personally thank you for spending the time with us on a topic near and dear to our hearts. If you'd like to be part of the Naked Parent Nation and help us reach those parents that are struggling and overwhelmed, there's no better way to help than by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. iTunes highlights the shows based on these metrics, and the more the show gets highlighted, the more opportunities people will have to be introduced to the show where they can hear that message of hope or that tip that can change everything. So follow the link in our show notes And we hope to have you back here tomorrow where we'll do it again. From the team here at the Naked Parent Podcast, we wish you the life you've always dreamed of and then some. So long.